Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of my pillow, here to tell you about my Giza Dream bed sheets. I made sure that they would be everything you'd ever want in a sheet set. I started with the world's finest cotton called Giza. It's only grown in a region where the Sahara Desert, the Nile River, and the Mediterranean Sea all meet. The long staple cotton makes my Giza Dream sheets ultra soft and durable. They come with extra wide pillowcases to fit over any pillow and extra deep pockets to fit over any mattress. Not only that, they come with my 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. And now you can get the best sheets ever for the best price ever. When you buy one of my Giza Dream bed sheet sets, you'll get another one absolutely free. I personally guarantee that they'll be the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener Specials for the buy one, get one free offer on Giza Sheets. All you got to do, Renegade Nation, is enter the promo code RENEGADE or call 1-800-889-6817 for these great specials. That's 1-800-889-6817. Use the promo code RENEGADE. Please be aware, the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and in some cases, even offensive. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the things that go bump in the night, frighteningly imagined creatures, supernatural beings, and even some unsolved mysteries, but I promise all sorts of weirdness. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, and prepare to be transported to today's dark enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, well, today's story is a very interesting listener suggestion. So, with that said, my darlings, we will still be playing our drinking game. And as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation, as always, is yours. So, choose your poison accordingly. Alright, now for the game part. How about every time I say succubus, that will be a single shot. And every time I say Lilith, that'll be a double shot. Now that we got the business end out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's dark enigma. So grab your best religious iconography, you know, crosses, holy water, and the like, as today we dive deep into the taboo subject of sex demons, or better known as the succubus or incubus. I know, I'm excited about today's event too. Yay! Well, what are sex demons? Sex demons are demons who sexually assault sleeping humans in order to get power and energy. The purpose for these attacks is for one of two reasons. Pure fun and pleasure, And in some myths, the ultimate purpose of a sex demon's attack is to conceive a child. Usually the victims of sex demons shrug the whole encounter off just a dream. After all, how can one truly believe that something like this could ever happen in real life, right? However, when it comes to this particular supernatural creature, 
There are usually repeated assaults. These attacks lead to deteriorated health, tiredness as they literally suck out your life force, and eventually death. There are two known names for sex demons, an incubus and a succubus. In the end, both represent the same negative entity. The only difference between an incubus and a succubus is how they choose their victims. If the victim is a woman, then the demon who attacked her is an incubus. This creature typically takes the form of an attractive male. And if a sex demon tortures a man, well, then it's a succubus. And this supernatural demon typically takes the form of a very seductive female. However, both entities are not bound by form or gender. They can shapeshift into whatever the human most desires. In truth, they look nothing like the beautiful masterpieces depicted in movies. Mine would look like a big thing of Haagen-Dazs. No, I'm kidding. Whatever the sleeping person desires is what will come forward. Some believe that both entities are from the same energy, just switching out their physical form. Other consider them as their own units with specific needs and desires. Succubus is a combination of two Latin words and means to lie under. The name of the male part of the sex demon also came from the Latin word incubo, which translates as a nightmare. So succubi or incubi have several special abilities that help them to torture humans. Except for the shape-shifting and dream manipulation, they can also control human minds to some extent in order to evoke a sexual attraction in them. Some victims say that sex demons can also put humans into a trance state or paralyze them, as even though the humans were aware of demons, they couldn't move or scream. So, just how does an incubus or a succubus reproduce? Well, since they are demons, both entities need a human in order to procreate. As a succubus has sex with a man, they steal seeds from the male human. Then the demon shifts into a male form and has sexual intercourse with a woman in an attempt to impregnate her. If an incubus's victim does bear a child, it's a half-human, half-demon with magical or demonic abilities, and it's called a cambion. A cambion is the child of any half-human and half-demon, and it's not specific to this type of paranormal creature, which means other demons can possibly impregnate people. Yeah. Because an incubus and a succubus are two parts of one demon, you can't compare them against each other. They have the same abilities but are dangerous to different people in different ways. Lately, more and more fantasy books and TV shows mention supernatural sex demons called incubus and succubus. These entities aren't turned humans who now possess supernatural abilities like vampires or werewolves. No, incubi and succubi are actual demons, sex demons. But what are they really? In folklore, is a demon or supernatural entity either as a man or woman that appears in dreams to seduce men or women, usually through sexual activity. The succubus incubus is said to be a powerful seductress who toys with the minds of humans. In some cultural and religious traditions, repeated sexual activity with the succubus or incubus can cause poor physical or mental health and even death. 
In modern representations, a succubus is often depicted as a beautiful seductress or enchantress, rather than as demonic or frightening. We often see our nightmares as nothing more but an overactive subconscious, images conjured up by our own brain and often showcase our deepest and darkest fears. It is in our sleep that we are most vulnerable, for we are unable to perceive the world around us. Unable to react to it and unable to defend ourselves should a bedtime intruder manifest itself around us. It sounds like an awful scenario to be in, and yet this could very well be where one may find themselves, should they ever be visited by the female fiend known as the succubus. When we think of the succubus in more modern terms, it's typical to conjure up an image of a beautiful woman, one who uses sex appeal and has the ability to fulfill all of your sickest fantasies. And come on, let's face it, we're all sick little puppies, right? She's a very powerful seductress, one who toys with the minds of men and more often than not takes them to bed with her. In most cases today, you'd be forgiven for thinking a succubus is just a term used to describe a provocative woman who gets her way with men and usually comes off richer for the experience, whilst her poor sap of a man crumbles in her absence. The woman in question may be cunning and deceptive, yet possess a beauty and charm that captivates all that behold her. They typically possess intense charisma and are used to tantalizing the opposite sex with both their words and their bodies. A succubus in today's world is thought to be a domineering woman, one is vengeful, prideful, and yet pretty damn hot. The succubus was once a prominent supernatural entity in folklore back in the medieval age and was thought to be a demon that took the form of a woman to achieve sex with men. Firstly, it's understood that the men in these scenarios were usually sleeping and that in the middle of the night, they would be stirred by the succubus and coaxed into sexual intercourse. Alright, every man I've ever known has never needed any coaxing. I'm just saying. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, a hot girl just woke me up in the middle of the night for sex. Score! Yeah, I would too. Secondly... These encounters were thought to take place in the dream state, which many may be linked to wet dreams, and a time before they could be scientifically explained. Third, these encounters, regardless of how crazy the sex was, were thought to bring about the deterioration of health and often cause dementia, mental anguish, decay, and even death. The succubus or succubi, if you're feeling really lucky and wish to pluralize them, pluralize them, yeah, I can't talk today. It originates from the late Latin term succuba, meaning paramour, or the term succubare, meaning to lie beneath, which implies the position in which the male takes when the succubus seduces them. It suggested that the succubus is sexually dominant and she is always in control from the moment she infiltrates the mind of a man to the moment she physically engages him. But this is all well and good for all of the dudes out there getting it on with demonesses, right? But what does the demoness get out of all of this? Well, if we look at the Malus Maleficarum, usually translated as the Hammer of the Witches by Henrik Kramer and Jacob Springer, we start to learn a lot about the succubi, 
The Hammer of the Witches is perhaps one of the best-known sources of witchcraft, and Heinrich Kramer, although a discredited Catholic clergyman, was quite thorough in his writings about demons. And while it doesn't appear to name any particular demons, he does devote a large section to succubi, where he details their roles and how to best defend against them. Kramer tells us that the succubus preys on men, not because she's horny and can't help but booty called her way into your dream, but because she wishes to steal sperm. The succubus aims to retrieve the sperm of her victims, which she then delivers to the incubus, a male demon that then visits an unsuspecting sleeping female. The incubus then impregnates the human female, which Kramer explains is how the demons can reproduce, given the traditional religious beliefs that angels and demons are not able to sire offspring. Although, I'm going to have to question it, because my mind goes to, okay, so she's stealing the sperm, she's given the sperm to the dude, and the dude has given the sperm to a human female. So, when does it change to demon? Because all they're doing is moving sperm around. Am I wrong? Okay. You let me know. Anyways, through this surrogate loophole, the demons can continue growing their offspring as the mortal female then gives birth. While the specifics are not detailed, it is thought that once the succubus has one sperm, they alter it in some way before handing it over to the incubus. And this is a vital process in ensuring the child becomes theirs. Once the child is born, it is thought that the child would be deformed or have some inclination for evil, as well as being sensitive to possession and supernatural influence, thus making them the spawn of a succubus and incubus. In demonology, again, these spawns are referred to as cambion. This whole idea is loosely linked to the dissertation written in the late 16th century by King James VI, titled Demonologue. Yeah, I can't pronounce that word, so look it up. Which confirms the traditional belief of angels and demons being unable to be reproduced by natural means. He explains that there are certain workarounds that a demon might use to father more children, and that it is to steal the sperm from a recently deceased male and place it inside of a woman. Another idea discussed is the ability for demons to possess the body of a corpse and for them to have intercourse through the human vessel to impregnate another. Okay, both of those, I'm going to go with a great big ew. Now that we have a bit of an idea of what a succubus does and what her main objective is, it's time to talk about the succubus in various legends and myths throughout history. And it would be impossible to do this, of course, without mentioning the Jewish mystical entity known as Lilith, the supposed first wife of Adam. Lilith appears mainly in the rabbinical text called the Alphabet of Ben Sira, an anonymous text of the Middle Ages inspired by the Hellenistic work known as the Sirach that talks a lot about masturbation, incest, and flatulence. You know, those things that are such great topics. But most people know of it because of its feature of the demoness Lilith. Now, Lilith wasn't always a demon. The book tells us the familiar story of God creating man and woman, but instead of Eve, God creates Lilith for whom he intended to be a companion to Adam because, well, Adam was lonely. But the two began to fight, mostly on the account that Lilith refused to be submissive during sex. She declared that she would not lie beneath Adam, but that she would only have sex with him if she got to go on top. 
The idea was that Lilith believed she was superior to Adam and that this ought to have been reflected in their sex. This fight would escalate to the point that Lilith left Adam and left the Garden of Eden, though not before she uttered God's name as an insult to both man and his creator. She then flew off, suggesting that she grew wings or had wings, leaving Adam to pray to God to tell him that Lilith had left him and the garden. God, of course, takes Adam's side because, well, he's a dude. He sends three angels after Lilith with the intention of dragging her back, but by this point, Lilith has already made up her mind. The angels can intercept her in the middle above the sea and try to drown her when she could not be convinced to return. However, they soon realized that they were not powerful enough and that both sides were equally matched. While we don't get a detailed description regarding the transition of Lilith the woman to Lilith the demoness, Lilith does declare to the angels, and I quote, I was created only to cause sickness to infants. If the infant is male, I have dominion over him for eight days after his birth, and if it is female, for twenty days, end quote. Bizarrely, this appears to be a random declaration by Lilith in an attempt to get the angels to leave her alone, but it also shapes her as more of an evil entity given her willingness to harm children. Lilith goes on to tell them that whatever she sees, the names of the angels in the form of an amulet, she will have no power over that infant, and that in exchange for her freedom, she will allow 100 of our children to die every day. The text then tells us that every day 100 demons perish, these being the children of Lilith, once more suggesting that Lilith is now a demon. It's thought that after Adam, Lilith then hooked up with the demon Samael, and that by some interpretations, the pair of them became the original succubus and incubus, the mother and father of demons. Some interpretations of the Samael and Lilith story see Lilith as being one of the four succubi that Samael mated with, and that Lilith makes up one of the four demons or succubus queens amongst a princess of evil, a demon who seduced Adam, and a demon who haunts the air itself. It's understood in some variations of these tales that amongst these four succubus queens, Lilith is the only one who does not naturally conceive children through regular intercourse, but goes along the route of a traditional succubus in sperm snatching for her incubus, Samael. These children who are born from Lilith's meddling are thought to be referred to as Lilin, or night spirits that attack men. Interestingly, in the Targum Shinai, an Arabic translation of the Book of Esther, King Solomon is thought to have been entertained by the Lalin at some point who danced around him. In more Jewish law, it is thought that while the succubus takes the form of a beautiful woman, if one looks close enough, they will see the ugly deformities of their regular demonic form. These can include fangs, claws, tails, and even wings which may be problematic, and well, unless you're into that kind of thing, right? Whilst the objective of the succubus appears to be founded in her desire to mother more children, there are some beliefs in folklore that fetishized the idea of the succubus, and suggested that the succubus also seeks sexual gratification from her male victims. In this, the succubus rapes her male victim and may even force him to perform oral sex until she is satisfied. I'm liking her more and more. I'm just saying. Anyways, 
The idea of the succubus was thought to be influenced by Greek mythology in the form of sirens. Sirens were believed to be a sort of hybrid between women and birds, sometimes depicted as having the body of a bird and the head of a woman. In later ideas, they were depicted as beautiful women whose voices and bodies were irresistible to men. This is a lot like the original idea of succubus from the Middle Ages, where the creature was thought to be gauzy and demonic before evolving into the sultry seductress that is more prominent today. Unlike the succubi, the sirens do not appear to desire the sperm of men, but instead seek to charm men through their songs, lulling them to sleep before tearing them to pieces. Leonardo da Vinci once wrote in his notebooks, The sirens sing so sweetly as she lures the mariners to sleep, then she climbs upon the ships and kills the sleeping mariners. We do see something similar take place in Greek mythology tales, most notably the voyage of Odysseus, where Odysseus becomes curious as to what the song of the siren sounds like. One night he had all his sailors plug their ears with beeswax and tied him to the mast of the ship. This would, fall, this would allow for them to be spared of the siren song, but it would also entrap Odysseus so he could not be logged away by the spellbinding songs. When he heard the siren singing, he begged for his sailors to untie him, but they were unable to hear him having already stuffed their ears with beeswax. Some ideas state that if a siren failed to lure a man away with their song, they were fated to die. Unlike the siren, the succubus doesn't appear to ever harm her male victims, though the act of resisting a succubus is seldom ever documented, and so we don't know how the creature would react if one began to blow a rape whistle and try to fend one off. Another influence from Greek mythology comes in the form of Lamia a woman who became a child-eating monster after her children were killed by the goddess Hera, who discovered that Lamia had been having a secret affair with her husband, Zeus. Other renditions see Hera trick Lamia into killing her children before a curse is then placed on her by Hera, which renders Lamia unable to sleep. Zeus would later grant Lamia the ability to remove her eyes, allowing her to sleep, but he also gives her ability to shapeshift into a monstrous creature that devours children. For the most part, in Hellenistic folklore, Lamia is thought to be a boogeyman, a tale told by parents to frighten their children into good behavior. This isn't necessarily hard to do, given that Lamia is thought to hunt misbehaved children down and swallow them alive. Ew. But by the first century and later classical periods, the perception of Lamia shifted, and she would also become to be known as a temptress, one who lured young men astray and then devoured them. This would usually take place after she'd satisfied her sexual appetite before proceeding to feed on the male in which she had seduced. Later traditions also introduced the Lamiae, folkloric monsters that were similar to vampires and the succubi themselves, which served the same role as Lamia in seducing young men and then consuming them. You can certainly see how the tales about Lamia have inspired the idea of the succubi. Both entities seek to achieve their ends by sexual activity, and both seem to take their male victims unawares, often lulling them into a state of submissiveness. A similar creature to the succubus appears in pre-Islamic Arab Arabia in the form of bedtime spirits known as Koranah. The Koranah is thought to seduce a man in his sleep, which manifests 
in an intense, vivid dream. Those who have supposed psychic potential can see them, and they appear in the form of household pets, namely cats, because as we all know, cats are dicks. <laughs> right? And it's the exact sort of animal that would go about doing this sort of thing. While the Karana doesn't appear to steal to try to steal the sperm of its victims, it does become a possessive psycho as it proceeds to harm her victims should they ever get into a relationship with someone else. Much like a cat. <laughs> Throughout history, priests and rabbis have tried to defend against the succubi, and there are a few methods that one may use to prevent the demonic creature from causing harm. If you cast your mind back to Lilith, you'll notice she tells the angels who came to drag her back to the Garden of Eden that she will not harm anyone who bears an amulet with their names described on it. Their names, should you wish to get yourself an anti-succubus amulet, are Sinoi, Sansonoi and Semingloff, which may or may not be an interesting conversation starter to begin with. You might also try the good old tried and tested method, method of sprinkling holy water around your bed. Or you may wish to just do what I do and become, well, a researcher and never sleep again. <laughs> but I hear the most effective method of keeping a succubus from trying to seduce you is to simply get married to it. Interestingly, not all succubi are thought to be evil. Walter Mapp, a medieval writer known for his work De Nugus Curulium, or The Trifles of Courtiers, describes Pope Sylvester II, who reigned between the years 999 to 1003, as plotting with a succubus named Meridiana. The story goes that as a young man, Pope Sylvester II went by the name Gerbert of Arilach and that he fell in love with the daughter of a university dean. She was not so inclined to reciprocate his affections and deemed him beneath her. Heartbroken, Gerbert became obsessed with her. He gave in to lewd and sexual thoughts about this woman, and some say it is what manifested the demoness known as Meridiana into his life. Unlike the dean's daughter, Mary Diana wholly offered herself to Gerbert and was keen to engage in whatever sort of intimacy he desired. She would also promise to make him rich, to bring about his wildest dreams, and to ensure he would be remembered in history. There was only one catch. He had to be loyal to her and her alone. Gerbert, who, well, let's just be real, probably wasn't going to get laid anytime soon anyway, readily accepted her offer and soon found himself achieving more and more. His riches increased, his prospects grew, and before long, he was Pope. Of course, the Catholic clergy were duty-bound to maintain chastity, and so Mary Diana will always be Gerbert's dirty little secret. And Mary Diana was happy to keep it this way so long as Gerbert kept loyal to her. Of course, when the dean's daughter saw how well Gerbert was doing now, she came crawling back. And in what was perhaps one of the earliest gold digger tests, Gerbert failed miserably. He gave in to the dean's daughter, despite everything that Mary Diana had done for him, and broke his promise. Mary Diana appeared to forgive him, though, although not quite entirely. She predicted that he would die on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and, you might say, planted a seed of paranoia in Gerbert, which drove him crazy. He canceled any and all plans to Jerusalem, but the moment he did, he began to fall ill, 
and will soon retire to his chambers, where, out of fear of God for having accepted a succubus into his life, began to confess everything. Then again, it's also possible that he was using the idea of a succubus as a scapegoat for a clandestine mistress, for it was far more forgivable at the time that he had been lured away by a supernatural force than merely given in to the temptations of the flesh. And having confessed, he appeared to die repentant of all his sins, because, you know, that's how the clergy works. But speaking from a scientific point of view, many believe that encounters with the succubus are a result of sleep paralysis, and those who experience such a condition may hallucinate and suffer an extreme sense of terror. It's a symptom of sleep paralysis that could very well easily be mistaken from some sort of demonic visitation. Others believe that the succubus phenomenon is heavily contributed to by the experience of nocturnal emissions, better known as wet dreams. Which leads us to one of the final questions when discussing sex demons. Is ghost sex real? Oh, you knew I had to touch on it, guys. Ha, huh, touch. <laughs> Spectrophilia, which is sexual attraction to ghosts, is a very real thing. Yes, guys, I'm sorry to say it. It's not just the internet that's crazy. There are people all around you who believe they have encountered a non-living entity in a physical way, and they liked it. You can even find videos of people claiming they want to marry the ghosts they are now interacting with. But then again, you can find just about anything on the internet, as we all know. And with that, my darlings, we've come to the end of our episode. I thank you for joining me here today, and I hope you'll take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on what you think about today's topic. You can always reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, you just want to tell me what you think, you're bored and you need somebody to talk to, drop me a line, because I do reply to every single email. And on that note, that is all the time I have for you this evening. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And you guessed it, don't forget to tune in next time, my darlings. I love you. See you, my heathens. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.